0: Hey everyone, this is Victor Mercalli and you're listening to the Southwest Design Labs Podcast. Today's show is being recorded from the University of Arizona Poetry Center. And here's a little history, um, if you didn't know this, but it was founded in 1960 by Ruth Stefan. That's exactly right. And who was the only daughter, I didn't know this, who was the only daughter of Charles Walgreen. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because we are indeed talking about the founder of the Walgreen drugstore chain. And so, um, obviously, uh, Ruth was a very important benefactress to the Poetry Center. And today we're here talking to Tyler Meyer. Right. Executive director of the UV Poetry Center. This is his third year here.
1: That's exactly right, yeah.
0: And we are grateful to be in such good company today. Before coming to Tucson, Tyler served as managing editor of the Canyon Review and was co director of the Canyon Review Young Writers Workshop. He holds an MFA from the University of Washington and his poetry and nonfiction works have been featured in numerous publications, including Washington Square, Thermos and many others. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, Victor. Thanks for that. That's a great introduction. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of context. Uh, so here we're, we're in the middle of, of our third podcast and we're doing a series on design thinking. And whereas the first podcast that we did was about drones and new technologies resha- yeah. reshaping industries, our second podcast recently was with uh, Adam Rex and we talked a lot about process and the creative process yeah. uh, and what it means to create and iterate and develop illustrations and concepts that advance a story and every creative decision along the way. And today, what, what we'd like to do is pivot into the world of poetry Yes, I, and hopefully dig deeper into talking about concepts that involve physical space. Mm. And I hope along the way uh, to challenge people's notions about what is poetry. Mm. So I'm just going to start. Tyler, this is a phenomenal space. When you were growing up and falling in love with poetry,
1: did you ever think that this would be the place where you would go to work every day? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I come from rural Ohio, uh, and so uh, places like this I, I think it was i didn 't know they existed growing up and falling in love with words. I fell in love with books, like most people, I think um, the first introduction to poetry comes on the page um, or 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 hearing poetry out loud um, and so those th- they're intimate experiences those are my first experiences. But of course, there should also and is also a need for a public life for poetry. And this is an exciting part, I think, about where the art form goes. That's what this building does so significantly well. I remember arriving on my job interview here and being just astonished. I had only seen the building in pictures, online you know, a small box of internet that's, you know, 13 inches by 10 inches. And so seeing it in real time and, and physical size, I was blown away. I walked around the building three times just staring and thinking. Were you like pinch me? Yeah, this place exists. This place exists. Um, and then sort of peering in the windows and seeing all of the books, um, which have their own sort of magical magical power. Uh, a sort of it's, it's amazing to work around that many poetry books and be connected to them, have them be sort of a central part of our day and what we're doing here. So it was, it's really remarkable. This building allows us to do a lot of things. And, and so uh, it's an important home for us, and it's a home base. But it also is a thing that um, it makes a lot of things possible for us. And we're just so thrilled to have such an exciting space from which to operate and do the work that we do. It truly really is an amazing space. So let's maybe talk, go from space to talk a little bit
0: about programs. Would you mind giving us a sure. little overview of the Poetry Center its programs, and
1: in, in its role in the Tucson and, and U of A community? Yeah, so the, the easiest way, I think, to understand the work that we do, we call the Poetry Center a living archive. Um, and the archive part refers to our work as a collector. And we've been collecting poetry books um, and, and other items related to poetry since the early 60s. Uh, 1960, we were founded by Ruth Stefan, uh, an important person in our founding, also an amazing poet, editor, uh, novelist, translator. She was a multi-talented um, interesting person did a lot of really significant work in the arts um, and how, loved did she, how did she come deeply. to Tucson? Yeah, so she was from Connecticut and she was coming to Tucson in the winters and kept uh, and kept a place here where she came and, and spent time. Uh, the original Poetry Center were two small cottages, uh, and the cottages were um, uh, they were donated by Ruth in the beginning, and one was intended to be the library, uh, and she included an essay that she wanted us to. Um, that would guide our collecting, that would give us a, f- a footprint for how we should collect. Uh, and then the second cottage was meant to be a space where poets could come and stay and come and visit. And so one was called the Poets' Cottage and one was the library. Hmm. We quickly outgrew that space. Uh, and so the idea of a library was in a, a classic Tucson adobe, um, you know, an, an 11, 1100 square foot structure. No, I bet. pretty small. Um, and so we moved, uh, the original cottages were, um, were raised when Speedway was expanded and we moved to a second set of two cottages, and those were raised when the Bio 5 building was put in place, and then we moved to temporarily to a former sorority house. And that became sort of the, the drumbeat that we really needed to find a permanent home for what we had collected, My um, and, and that is where the genesis of this building came from. Uh, and so g- having a chance to, uh, to find a permanent home for the books, this, this building was completed in 2007. It's the first time we've had all of the collection in one place since the very beginning days. So that's exciting. Uh, That's the archive part. The living part are the programs that we do. So we've been bringing poets to Tucson uh, since the 60s also, Uh, over a thousand poets that have come, and really a way to sort of track the 20th century of American poetry and international poetry in many ways. Uh, Tucson has a place in that. um, It comes through Tucson at some point, and this has been the reason why. Um, So bringing poets and having them do readings and performances, that's one of our hallmarks. Uh, we've really ramped up our education programs, and so we're doing a lot with K-12 through education, a lot of service to the university, uh, a lot of community outreach and community conversations as well. So the collecting is the archive, uh, the library work, and the living part is the ongoing community programming that we're doing.
0: That's great. So as we're looking around, obviously yeah. people who are, who are listening to this, they can't see
1: what we're looking at, but
0: uh, if you had to describe the space to somebody...
1: Walk us through it. Yeah. So what I'm looking at, and I, I know <laughs> I'm lucky to know some of this. This is uh, one of the largest standalone poetry collections in the country, and so uh, the the facility that we're in, it's been designed by a firm in Tucson called Line and Space, an amazing architectural firm uh, that did phenomenal work. I think thinking through what what we needed in our space and how, if we were making a permanent home of this stature uh, for these needs, what would it look like? What would it need to do? Um, It's amazing that they're called line and space. These are two important elements of poems. Absolutely. Uh, So um, they did a lot of focus groups. They did a lot of conversations. They talked with our audience and our community. They talked with staff. uh, They talked with librarians. They figured out what we would need to really make this work. Um, So we have a really hybrid space that is a home for all of these books and for some of our digital collections uh, as well as performance spaces that we're using. So uh, places for small conversations, uh, places for children, uh, places for people to have quiet contemplative contemplative uh, thinking about books, and places for more gregarious conversation about poetry and and what a book is doing or what a poet's doing on the page. Yeah,
0: we so need more of that, right? We do need more of that, yeah.
1: <laughs> so listeners, obviously, they can't see,
0: but behind us there's, a, and I'll make sure to put some of these pictures on, on our Facebook page yeah. a little bit later, but there's a striking black and white mural of Edgar Allan Poe and his cat in the background. What's the story behind it, and, and what did it take to, to secure a home for it? Here at the poetry center sure
1: yeah so um, one of the ways we can really do our work well is through collaboration and we know this we've learned this over time and how we partner with other groups in tucson and beyond helps us extend the reach of what we're trying to do as the poetry center so the mural behind us is a collaboration with literacy connects and literacy connects has applied for and received an nea big reads grant and the big read uh, invites a community to do a common reading. Throughout a given calendar year, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, so they're doing Edgar Allan Poe, and so one of the ways we wanted to participate was in our mural wall to recast it and do a giant Poe mural. So we worked with a local muralist named Joe Pagick. right? Um, no, yeah. And so Joe was here. Uh, he spent uh, three and a half days, uh, made this amazing Poe mural, uh, and painted it. Uh, and so now we have this awesome Edgar Allan Poe mural here. And we, I will confess, it's relatively new. We're excited to figure out um, how to make it how to make it come alive. So we're about to launch. Uh, so campaign of uh, selfies with Poe and invite people to come do a picture with this and try to get super clever yeah get a little sort of viral push around this if we can Um, so part of my job is to see if I can get the basketball team to come uh, do some pictures so we'll see how this goes that's great (laughs) yeah now more and more
0: we're starting to see spaces where students or employees of an organization or freelancers can work collaboratively Uh, Mm -hmm. places where they can storyboard and explore concepts and relationships whether they're using post-it notes concept maps or building prototypes you know we're talking about the physical space of innovation yes that defines you know some of the work of design thinking do you think poetry is becoming more and more collaborative and how is the physical space here conducive to that process
1: yeah it is it absolutely is and so increasingly we see i think books and publications that are collaborative efforts uh two poets a poet and an artist um we're seeing these sorts of publications that are really hallmarks of of a group effort where um, something's being thought through by two two or more people there's a book coming out from a former director uh, and and uh, and a local poet who taught at Pimo for a long time where the poems are sort of a call and response so one poem is a response to the first and it becomes a sequence almost a chain uh, of of poems that are in reference to each other um that work this idea that poetry isn't something you do in a lonely space by yourself entirely all the time i think there are ways in which we're disarming that notion and that it becomes a more public effort uh something that is creative and collaborative um, I'm a firm believer that the production of knowledge is something you do in a group. Uh, we don't do this individually, it takes a group to understand something and, and affirm it. Um, and so these, these spaces where art also is a collaborative effort become really exciting to me. We do try to think about how it can happen here. Uh, some of our programs are built around this. Um, Uh, getting kids together for family days and some of our other kid efforts have been really important. Our classes and workshops program has also been really important. I saw it this morning as I was coming in. They're here early. They are here early. That's exactly right. And so those classes that we run, um, they're ways for people to think through, uh, whether they're just starting with poetry or they have some experience already. Uh, um, You know, whatever class or angle, whatever angle the class takes to sort of pull off its work. That's great.
0: Yeah. What would you like to see people do in this space that they haven't, yet explored? In other words, if you were suddenly awarded with a huge financial gift tomorrow, and I hope there are philanthropists listening right now, (laughs) what would you like to do in terms of of space and programming with those resources? This is a
1: great question. This is a wonderful question. So um, some of what we've thought about is uh, what we do with our collections and what ambitions we may have with our collections. As one of the largest standalone poetry collections, um, one of the, how do we steward this? What are our goals or our ambitions? There are great places in the country where papers are collected, but there's not a comprehensive place where this is happening for poetry. Um, and, and one dream would be, if we have the ability and the space and the, and the person power mm-hmm. to collect papers for poets uh, and to start to build an archive that would be comprehensive, people who are sort of operating in the highest register by popularity or by stature or significance, they might find a home for their stuff. Um, but we often think about, there's a whole other the poetry is much deeper and broader and collecting in that way would be exciting. Um, We also think about how we're supporting other actors um, who are supporting literary community. Part of our mission is about robust and diverse, a robust and diverse literary culture. Mm -hmm. And so how we support other people who are doing that work is really important to us. We collaborate to help others achieve what they might be doing that is outside of our footprint but we can maybe help make something good happen. Um, If we had more resources, we'd love to think even harder about how we do that work.
0: That's great, yeah who's your typical user or patron and who would you like to see use the space more often?
1: yeah, good questions so the typical it's what's lovely about w- how this place has been built over time it's a really diverse group, and so there are programs for children, there are programs for um, for seniors, there are programs for u of a students We have a robust k through twelve program, so uh, really it's a very, very broad and diverse group of people who use the space. Um, my dream would be to think about how we're Influencing and affecting K through 12 education in Arizona, and we do a great job, I think, with the programs that we have. Renee Engel, who runs our education programs, mm-hmm. is a genius. It's a pleasure to work with her, and she's often tinkering or thinking about how can we do this work th- in the most exciting ways and connect in the and the most significant ways with students. There's a lot more we could do, and some of it's resource-based. Right. Um, and K through 12 education in Arizona is a challenge, uh, and I think what what space poetry can play sometimes is marginalized by standards-based learning, by, um, by a teacher's own you know, ability to uh, appreciate or deal with poetry on their own, and perhaps this is a thing that gets often set to the side. Uh, so we wanna work with teachers and students as much as possible to try to make poetry a core part of what a K through 12 education is for lots of reasons. Maybe
0: more accessible.
1: More accessible, yeah, uh, but also um, it's an important tool, and I think how we use language, how we're able to talk about the, our, our challenges, the things that we struggle with, um, this defines who we are. And mm-hmm. I'm w- increasingly reminded of this in the, in the sort of season of political rhetoric. Uh, poetry can play a role. It can teach us uh, something, something about language that helps us um, think more deeply about what language can do, how it can mean. The better we are at articulating our struggles, our challenges, our difference, uh, the more equipped we are for whatever we're doing, whether we're a nurse or a politician mm-hmm. or a businessman or a poet. Um, these things matter, and I think, especially in a K through 12 realm, uh, the ability poetry can—it's it's not only useful as an art form; uh, it can change lives, yes. Uh, but it's also useful because it teaches us how language works, and that matters. Uh, and those attentions—the uh, ability to understand, pay attention, deeply understand something—that's endlessly reapplicable. I think absolutely. Um, if you can pay attention in a poem, you learn how to pay attention to. 24-hour news cycle to uh, to a message in a museum about climate change uh, you might be able to you pick up differently and that's really important and poetry can help teach that
0: uh, I think it's so interesting you, you talk about climate change I have a question on climate change which is sure you know uh, in a roundabout way I think I think it's important when we're talking about poetry but you know we live in a time in history I think of of coding and analytics and, yes. and, and an emphasis on STEM careers yes I feel like we've entered maybe for better or for worse this type of Post-postmodern society, where it almost feels that our, our economic and national security will be defined by, say, our ability to produce more graduates who can hack or build better firewalls or engineer, you know, better human-centric technologies like body cameras or maybe yeah. self-driving cars. So, you know, or, or I mean, we're going to need, I think, uh, lots of college grads to help us solve issues of, of climate reversal. Really, so. Where does poetry line in this
1: context? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think some of this changed, where the excitement is and the energy, this idea of um, we have tools where we can make the future that we, that, we, that, we, that, we, that we will need, that we can solve some of our problems by uh, by making. You know, We have printers that can print the tools that we need now. Um, poetry fits, we need to be able to talk about why these things matter. Um, and, and poetry can help us, I think, understand how to do that, help articulate in a lot of ways Core reasons uh, why something is worth doing why something's worth caring about. Um, I think climate change is a great example of this. You know we understand now the science is, is, is largely irrefutable there's no we know what's happening. Um, we need to figure out how to talk about it and we need to figure out how to talk about it not just as an environmental issue but also as a social justice issue and, and as, um, as a social issue it's, uh, it, it's no longer just science anymore it's affecting our lives. Um, how we talk about it, the imagination, the imaginative power to think about it, this will influence how we respond to it. And poetry has a huge role to play, I think, in uh, our ability to setting it. up the stage. Talking about it, yeah, yeah. So um, that's where I see a role for this. This is where the STEM becomes STEAM. Uh, and poetry is one aspect of the arts where that's really important. But um, many others also can be useful, important, influential in how we solve the challenges that we're going to need to solve.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that, that the job of the poet laureate has gotten immensely more difficult? <laughs> I, I, know, so I saw something on Facebook
1: yeah. last night. And you, I think, hosted an event at Congress. Was that yeah. last night? Or? It was on um, Wednesday night. Wednesday yeah, night. Yeah, it was a great – we had a great time. We were with Alberto Rios, uh, Arizona's inaugural state poet laureate, wonderful poet, uh, a wonderful human, and a really generous, uh, generous speaker. And he was talking about magical realism, and his interest in this as both uh, a literary term uh, but also as a way of perceiving the world. Uh, and as a language-based phenomena. Uh, And in particular, he's interested in how romance languages make this possible, uh, where the world becomes alive with possibility. Um, And so one of his examples, and I'm gonna butcher this, but I'm gonna try. He talked about, uh, if, if I drop the bottle in English, I dropped the bottle. The rugged individual me uh, has dropped this bottle and uh, I've acted upon the world. Uh, but in a romance language, uh, often the bottle falls from you. I
0: was about to say.
1: Yeah, I ins- sp- Spanish is my first language. Is something. Is, is Spanish is, the, is, the, is a great example. Right. Se me cayó. Uh, se cayó la botella, it, it just exactly, fell. Exactly, it fell. It could have been the bottle, could have been me, I'm not sure, uh, so rugged pluralism. There's lots of possibility. We're not sure what happened. We, we participate in making that world together that notion of what he's talking about I think is really exciting in terms and context of what a poet laureate does Uh, this is he's interested in participating with others about what role could be possible for poetry Mm -hmm. Um, so it is an important role I think people approach it differently he's done a really tremendous job uh, as the inaugural State Poet Laureate in Arizona and he has a great new book which I plug called a small story about the sky so can't wait to read it yeah what type of experiences
0: you know courses or workshops would you recommend to people out there who really have no way of knowing how to engage with poetry or perhaps are reluctant to be typecast as whatever their notion of a poet is
1: yeah we this is something we deal with often um It's very easy for me when I'm speaking to a group to come in and say, "Don't worry, I'm not going to read poetry to you <laughs> as the first thing I say uh, It's a joke, but it's also uh there's a way in which we've been um we've been taught culturally to be the poetry is maybe for many of us, something to be afraid of, something we didn't quite understand in high school, we haven't thought about much since. Uh, we do, we are d- we're deeply interested in disarming that notion. It's important to remember that it's still language, uh, and language is something oh, yeah. we use every day, uh, and knowing how to use language well, um, and in exciting ways, in ways that could thrill you, um, that's an important part of what poetry is. So we often talk about that as a way to remember There are only words, and we know how to use words, and knowing how to use them well is important. I would recommend a couple of things. One is come visit us in our space and we can uh, make some suggestions here at the center of books you can come and look at, things you can come and take a look at, uh, ways you could just pick up a book and just have time here to relax and and look at at poems. Other programs that we do to help engage and help make it a little bit easier for people to uh, orient uh, we have a program called Shop Talks that we offer three times a semester, sometimes four. Mm-hmm. And they are um, conversations about a poet before their visit. There's no experience required. You don't even have to have read any of the work before you come. You'll get a packet while you're there and we've asked someone to lead a discussion. They're very friendly and welcoming and it's just a chance to read three or four poems, talk about them, get a sense of what a poet's interested in before that poet comes and makes a visit later in that week to Tucson. It's another really exciting program. and then. Of course, the other thing we're deeply invested in and continuing to invest in is how we talk about poetry in K-12 through spaces mm-hmm. and really trying to support the work that's happening uh, there with teachers and also with our own uh, efforts at, at going into local schools, talking about poetry, and trying to think about um, what sorts of things, how we're helping kids understand what's possible through words. Mm-hmm. I guess the bigger question is, how does poetry,
0: maybe embodied in spaces such as yours Or in organizations or in libraries or in the work of you know poet laureates. How does poetry in the institutional sense have to adapt to meet the needs of people who face real day-to-day challenges not so Mm -hmm. much existential ones?
1: Yeah these are great questions and these are challenges. I think we the answers to these questions are ongoing and this is work where we're excited to sort of continue to think where the rubber meets the road Um, and we need to be flexible and adaptable because the world is not static. Uh, We know while well, we're excited to have collected these books and have really worked on this collection for, for almost 60 years now, um, we have to think about how we get people in here to engage with this collection and what are the tools we can use. One of the things I want to make sure that I mention is a radio show that we've launched with KXCI. It's a partnership, and it's also a partnership with a local poet named Brian Blanchfield. Uh, it's called Speedway and Swan. It's every other Sunday at 4 p.m. Uh, and then we archive the, uh, the stream of that show so you can listen to it on SoundCloud anytime you want. Uh, Brian brings on a co-host. So Brian reads poems that are new in the collection here in the Poetry Center. So it's a way to test drive some new poetry that's out there in the world. Uh, the co-host brings poems that they care about and love, that they want to share. Uh, Brian also plays one archival piece from our, our archive, VOCA, every time that he uh, he goes on air. And then they mix it with great music. So it's a really pleasant hour. It's a lovely thing to listen to. And so if you're interested in just being surprised by what's out there. uh, You can find this online, Speedway and Swan, uh, and listen to an hour of poetry and maybe uh, learn something new about a poet you didn't know about and get excited about. Some of our work has been uh, investing in the digital space. So we're about to launch a new website that we're really excited about. Uh, We record the poets who come and read here. So if you can't come make it to a reading, we will record that reading. We've mm-hmm. re- there's a, we have a great videographer that we use. We post those in a collection called VOCA. I know we talked about that earlier. That's right, so that's voca.arizona.edu, uh, V-O-C-A. And so VOCA is, uh, it's, it's almost 800 uh, recordings deep now. And these are all readings from poets who have visited Tucson. And it's a chance to really sort of uh, listen to almost anything um, except uh, also knowing that it happened in Tucson when they came and read. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a way that we sort of track um, the work that we've done and also sort of the influence of these poets uh, historically on this place. Um, Tucson is a literary place. Uh, it's one of the greatest literary places that I know of oh in yeah. the country. And, and it's eclectic um, too. I mean, it has a certain right. feel. Yeah. And we are just one piece of it. Uh, it's that since that Tucson is a literary place is vastly uh, larger than just the poetry center. So we get to be a bullhorn for that and sort yeah. of an imaginative space uh, where people can come and think about sort of of that. We help sort of I, th- I think uh, uh, promote it uh, and and be uh, um, again sort of a way to sort of be a bullhorn for it, but but we're not the only uh, aspect of it by far. So, mm-hmm. just and quickly jumping back to what you're saying. So, online spaces, um, recording the readings. We, do, uh, we have a photography exhibit and collection of uh, portraits of poets as they've come to Tucson. That is a, an, a collection that we're digitizing as well. It's the Laverne Harrow-Clark Photo Archive, and that will be up, I think, in about a year's time. Uh, these are images of poets that um, are, have not really been released yet. Uh, many of them are new. It's a new way to look at and think about what poetry is, who's been making it, uh, right. and why it matters. So what type of programming can poetry enthusiasts expect in 2015, 2016? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, two exciting things that we're doing in our reading series. In the fall, we're hosting uh, an exhibit here at the at the library that's called From Here, and it's eight poets from Baja, Arizona. Uh, and it's poets who have some deep connection to Tucson. Uh, and so Alberto Rios is one of these uh, from Nogales, uh, but then also uh, poets as diverse as Richard Siken. Alice Natley, Eduardo Corral, um, all of whom have some claim to southern Arizona, uh, no farther north than Casa Grande. Right. So, um, so we're really excited about that exhibit. Two of those poets are coming to, f- four of those poets are reading uh, in our reading series. Uh, so Richard and uh, Richard Seiken and Annie Guthrie read on September 10th. Uh, Mark Doty reads on October 1st. Uh, and Brenda Hillman, another wonderful poet, reads October 22nd, I think. I'm Check our website <laughs> for that exact date. And what date. is your website, Tyler? Yeah, and it's poetry.arizona.edu so you can find more about it there. In the, uh, in the, in the spring semester, we're, manchi- we're launching uh, a mini-series that we're really excited about on poetry and spectacle. And we're, we're pitching this as a series of investigative readings that will explore the intersections of these two forms. And a lot of what we're interested in sort of having these poets think about is we increasingly live in a world where we are constantly part of an audience. Uh, I think social media and the internet in particular f- have this upon us. And what does it mean if we're part of an audience for what is being performed? Uh, How do we think about these things? What role does poetry play in this? Uh, We have four really exciting poets coming throughout the month of February, and they'll read sequentially each week in February and sort of think through and puzzle these ideas with us in a sort of investigative, exploratory way. Well, I think audiences are going to be really excited to hopefully listen to this podcast and hear about all
0: the great things that you're doing here. This has been a conversation with Tyler Meyer, poet, and executive director of the University of Arizona Poetry Center. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Victor. Glad to be here.